This is a podcast about time. The time it takes to become an artisan. Heritage. Saving to buy something you'll keep forever. Sustainability. Memories attached to clothing that you've loved and lived in. Interiors. And the longevity of friendship. To us, the true definition of luxury. I'm Lynn Coleman. Join me and my friend Jill Brown as we chat about what makes vintage so special. Welcome to A Guide to Luxury, Season 2. Brick Lane, the East End of London. Lurking in the shadows of a chimney stack belonging to the old Truman Brewery is Brick Lane. This melting pot of people creates one of the most diverse places on the planet to have a poke around through the stalls. For centuries, it's been a place where immigrants have put down their roots, from the Huguenots in the 17th century fleeing France, followed by the Irish during the famine, the Jews in the mid-20th century, to most recently, the Bangladeshi community. Over the last 25 years, a new breed of immigrant has settled in its colourful yet derelict part of town. A creative crowd is claiming these parts now. From artists taking advantage to the cheap studio space, to new designers hiring out the first floor shop fronts, this clash of cultures makes for an interesting cruise. Muslim men dressed in traditional garb meander alongside fashionistas frolicking in the freedom of fashion. Brilliant bagels can be had alongside the hottest vindaloos. Then there's the vintage. Littered with the stuff, Brick Lane will leave you in flock delirium. From the market stalls at the weekend to the independent stores hawking daily, come hail, rain or shine, you'll find a vintage valentine. For this episode, Jill, there is a very old girlfriend of mine who I want to introduce you to, who I am telling you now, you will have a giant girl crush on. Her name is Zara. We worked together at STV a millennium ago, um, but she's gone on to do some of uh, the funniest shorts that the BBC are creating right now. And in fact, I think that you've probably seen it, haven't you? It's called Pack Life. It is brilliant. So uh, Zara is of Pakistani descent. She is Glaswegian. Yeah, she's she's made this brilliant, what is it, like five minutes or something like that? It's like a little yeah. five-minute clip with the BBC. I've never laughed so hard in my whole entire life. If anybody hasn't watched it, shame on you, because a million people have. She's just hit the million people mark. That's she- a fifth of the Scottish population. But she's going to take us by the hand around about the East End and tell us about the fav- her favourite place to eat and shop for vintage because she's been down there for a little while now and God, I miss her so. So Jill, I have had a little look in my little black book of amazing people and there is no one quite as amazing as Zara. She is this multi-hyphenate go-getter who just does it all. She writes, she presents, she produces... And she's bloody beautiful and she's got banging dress sense. Well, what more could you want from She sounds like the grown-up I aspire to be. Actually, she is. Me too. I, I, I'm actually quite fearful that you're calling me a grown-up, to be honest. <laughs> I don't feel like anything but a grown-up. I'm the biggest kid ever. Um, I mean, thank you. That was such a nice introduction. Um, I, I'm definitely blushing um, at all of it, but thank you. Because, um, you know, it's it's been such a long time since, since we, we met. Lynn um, and you know it's been amazing to to watch your journey and everything that you do so having you guys describe me like that feels uh, feels lovely so thank you. Not at all so we met about a decade 
ago, well, just shy of a decade ago, right? Oh, gosh, yeah. I know. Yeah. Um, when you were at STV and you were here in Edinburgh on the Fountain Bridge show, and we have you know lots of mutual friends, but I distinctly remember being like, She's the coolest girl I've ever seen. You know, you know when you have that thing where you're like, oh, I quite like to be her friend. And then so I made you my friend. I just loved your dress sense and the way that you looked. And I'm not in a shallow way, just everything about your personality came through that vehicle. Like you look smart, but you look sophisticated and you look bloody fun. I just want to take you everywhere with me. <laughs> all these intros for me, always, because this is fantastic. Not at all. So you, you, we met at, um, at the Fountain Bridge show. And yeah, t- tell us a little bit about the start of your journey. Uh, oh gosh, I mean, I feel like how far do you want to go back, really? <laughs> I always, I never had a clue what I really wanted to do. I, I loved being creative and I loved writing. But so naturally, I studied business management. I mean, that made Sensible. perfect sense. Uh, so when I when I graduated, um, I was my father was like, you need to get a job, you need to do something. And so I got a job working in a rum bar in Bermuda and just like <laughs> disappeared to Bermuda for a year because I was like, I'm not, I'm not getting a proper job. But um, I thought as long as I was there, I wouldn't, he wouldn't be able to hassle me and like ask me too many things. He was yeah. not specific about the type of job. No, I didn't, you know, I didn't read the small print clearly. So um, I went out to Bermuda and then just kind of ended up traveling a lot and, and enjoying life. And I really think that's like where it all really started is, you know, I think it's really important to, for me anyway, it's been really important in life to have those experiences and to be able to to travel and meet people and find out, you know, who you are and what you think about things and be exposed to different cultures and um, different places. So um, I eventually did um, a, a master's degree in journalism. I came back to Scotland and did a, did a degree and started working as a journalist and from there moved into working in television. And then it's just kind of grown, grown lots of arms and legs because when we met around about that time, I was I had been working as a news presenter, which happened really spontaneously, like really, really bizarrely. It came about, I mean, I'd been a print journalist, so I, I had never been exposed to broadcast at all and just was very fortunate that um, from, do, from doing human rights journalism, I took a job in the oil and gas industry in Aberdeen and I lasted three months because it was so awful. I hated it. I absolutely hated it. And then I found out that, you know, I moved my partner at the time up and I was like, oh, my God, I'm in Aberdeen and I now don't have a job. And I was so lucky that the STV at the time were looking for someone to write for them online. And as I was sitting there writing, I was like, I could see cameras around me and people rushing and shouting out and headlines. And it was just like really fun, engaging environment. And I was like, oh, my God, this is like there's something in this. There's something that really excites me. And so um, within a year, I was presenting the news, which is really bonkers. And it makes it seem like it just happened. But I was supported by a lot of really cool women I met. Um, And one in particular, Andrea Brimer, I always give her a shout out because she came to me and said, I can tell that you are really interested in this. You're staying late. You're doing the auto cue. You're going above and beyond. Like you're doing way more than would ever be expected of you. Let's see if we can get you a showreel together. And she was the one that taught me how to present and got me a showreel and eventually said, you have to apply for this job that's come up in Edinburgh and it's presenting the news. And I took the job. I got the job. And um, when we met, I had just been asked to move into sort of entertainment and to work on a new daytime show. So that was the start of of, of everything really working in, in television and all the different arms and legs that grew from that. 
And the dirty big secret here is that when you say all of these things, you conjure images in your head if you don't work in the media of, oh, wow, wardrobe must be great. Just so that we can make this very clear, this is all on you. When you take on a job like that, you are, you know, you write the theme tune, you sing the theme tune, you produce the theme, the theme tune. And so you ha- that's what you have to do. And that, that I think that was one of the reasons why I, I thought this girl totally gets it, because you dressed for the job that you wanted in all manners of the word. And your, your style just came through on that. So tell me a little bit about your style and tell me a little bit about the decades that resonate for you the most, the, the ones that you gravitate towards. Oh, okay. So my style, I don't, I mean, I, I I was, I was always told to present myself well. My father was in the military and my mother was in the military and we always, always a big kind of um, emphasis on how you present yourself to people and, and understanding that you, you make a first impression very quickly on people and you want to make the best impression. So I don't know, my, my styles, it's so varied. I love color. I love something bright. I love something unique. It makes me feel good when I wear something that's really, colorful and um I, I I love discovering different styles um I don't feel like I restrict myself to an era or you know there's things that I I mean that I would never say no when it comes to fashion give me some leather give me like some get, give me whatever you know I, I'm up for it and actually sometimes the wackier the better um you know when I went to Malaysia a couple of years ago I discovered the Malaysian, these Malaysian dresses, and they were just like the most beautiful colors and that sort of Asian style, but not, not over the top. And I love the opportunity to wear them because they're really distinctive and they're really unique and they just make me feel good. But I think um, the style that I've had is a bit of a, I I mean, I I love finding things that, that not everyone has. I don't like to, even in my life in general, I'm not the kind of person that likes the kind of hype um, I don't buy into the hype a lot and I, I I consider myself an independent thinker and I think that comes across in how I dress. It makes it sound like I'm like some bag lady, right? Like some crazy cat lady <laughs> in how I dress. At the time when I was working in news, certainly, I was very conscious. Um, what you said before about having no one does it for you is very true. Nobody um, was really, not, I wasn't, I didn't have hair and makeup all the time. So I would have to do a lot of that myself. Um, you know, I was, I was looking with news it's you know the it's very much like lockdown your lockdown look you think about from the waist up because that's what they see when you're sitting sitting at a desk so there's lots of really nice blazers and really nice tops and jazzing up with some jewelry but you know I love if on the bottom I've got some like leather trousers on and some you know cool heels or really nice trainers or you know I I I like I do like switching up I think the era that probably appeals to me the most um, is like the kind of 20s and 30s mm. I even love the hairstyles from back then it just looks so glamorous and actually one of the first, oh it's amazing but in Edinburgh there's a place called Miss Dixie Bells and they do makeovers for people that so they teach you how to do these amazing hairstyles I remember doing this once for the show and getting kitted out in a beautiful dress and I just oh honestly like that whole era I just I think it's really romantic and I'm probably quite a romantic person. So I do quite, I just love the style of it. I think it's so elegant. Yeah, I'm the same. And I love those sort of cut on the bias, like dresses because they're so, um, like they're magical. They make you look so beautiful. Like Lynn's wedding dress that she wore was sort of inspired by like the 1930s. And 
it's I just I love the sort of sway of it and I think yeah there's there's a romantic notion around it isn't there around the war not that the war was but you know about romance and red lipstick and you know stockings and just women still very much dressed in a particular way that was different from men didn't they yeah, I, I and I do quite like dressing femininely. I love having uh, putting on a beautiful gown and Art Deco dress. I have this gorgeous dress. I, I host a lot of events and things, and if if I get the chance to buy something new, you know, maybe buy a new gown to add. Which, by the way, they're all gathering dust right now, and it feels really bonkers because we've not I've not had the chance to wear any of them for such a long time. Um, considering having a little night in soon, just a little Art Deco night to myself and put my hair up and do it all. But that that whole era just is so um, it is very feminine but the 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 way they accessorize there's lots of little little elements that you can pull out from that era and that you can wear with a pair of jeans or you know wear with some heels or you know jazz it up with some some trainers so I've been playing about with that style and just seeing what fits I do find it really hard to describe what my my style is because I don't restrict myself I don't ever um pinpoint I I just have I'm very open-minded with it all um I I, you know I'm looking at the moment across at my wardrobe and it's like a, a rainbow of colors which I love I don't wear a lot of darks um a lot of blacks I don't you know uh, and I definitely am not the kind of person that just shoves on the same pair of jeans and a, and a jumper every day. I've always got something different to wear. Um, but I, I always go with how I feel more than, you know, anything else. And even even when I was working, it was how did I feel when I was wearing something? Um, I want to feel confident. And especially when you're in front of the camera, you know, you have to feel good about what you're in. Um, and it's not necessarily how you look, although I know that that's important as well. It is more, you know, how am I feeling in this? Is it, I don't care sometimes if it's a bit uncomfortable. <laughs> I'm like, that's it, isn't it? It's about how you present yourself, I think, as well. And and that translates beyond presenting yourself on television. I mean, we, we are in a very similar business. But Pre-COVID, used to go and pitch to really quite important people at broadcasters. And it was always really important to me what I wore because I had to be at my most confident. One of my previous bosses always used to laugh. She was like, oh, she's got the power jacket on. I didn't even laugh. I was like, that's exactly what it is. 100%, that's what it is. My mum says a similar thing as well. She said, you can always tell how frightened she is by the shade of her lipstick. She's like, the darker red the lipstick, the more frightened she is because she's just, <laughs> that's the deeper the red, the bigger the armor she needs. I love that because we do though you you know you use you use clothes for different different reasons don't you and actually sometimes it's it, you're you're masking a feeling or sometimes you're you know emphasizing a feeling okay so for shopping you Zara you're in London and you obviously straddle being there and at home so where are your top places for vintage first in London uh, so discovering vintage in London has been a really uh, interesting experience because the first time I saw a vintage shop, it was in Notting Hill and I fell in love with like three or four things because I fall in love very easily with clothes. And, and But once I'm in love with them, we don't fall out. It's not like actually, it's not like male relationship. It's not like, a, you know, actual romantic relationship. We stay in love for, for forever, which is fantastic. But anyway, I went into this place in Notting Hill and I saw in particular this 1920s dress. And I was like, oh my God, I have to have it. I don't care when I'm going to wear it. I have to have it. And then I looked at the price tag and I was like, I don't need that. <laughs> <laughs> I 
I like paying rent and having a roof over my head and everything else that I need to buy over the next four months. So I don't think I'm going to be buying it. I found it a bit shocking, actually, initially the, the price of vintage in London and the markups that, 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 are, that are being made because... How much was it, Zara? It was four and a half grand. <laughs> oh, and I was oh like, my. I know, right? I was like looking at it and thinking I'm used to being in like Glasgow, going to Mr. Ben's or going to like, you know, places in Edinburgh, like Armstrong's. And you see, you see pieces like that and you maybe expect to pay 150 for, for a, a piece like that. I was not anticipating when I turned it over and I was like, are you kidding me? There's no way. Which was the hard, yeah, the hard thing about that is because I, t- I- pieces from the 20s are so rare because of the silk and you know, they just didn't last the way that other materials did because you know that the moths just adore that stuff and then the stitching and, and and how old it is but yeah that's that's something the majority of the stuff in armstrong's actually that sit from the 20s is in the archive and you're not allowed to buy it so you know they're very they're very conscious of of how much it would cost and not letting go so yeah i think exactly what you've just said I, I I cannot, I cannot and I will not, which means that it stays there safe. But I still think about it, you know. And it's, oh, do you? Oh my God, yes. I still have these. And you, you know, that's when you really love something, you know, when you've seen it once and you, you keep going back and you keep looking at it and you keep thinking about it. And um, so it was just, you know, a, a love lost, unfortunately. Um, but I did open my eyes to vintage in London and I started having a look around at some of the other markets um, and places. And I love going down to Shoreditch because they've got, you know, markets and villages there that are really nice to have a wander through. And it's really unexpected. Some of the, the things that you can buy there are just so unique. I've never seen things like like that before and um you find yourself realizing that you need things that you never knew existed <laughs> which i also really love um so when i'm down in london um when i'm here i have the habit of of, of finding those those pieces and it's when i can't stop thinking about them and i think yeah it's kind of worth it like recently i saw this beautiful uh 1940s dressing gown and it's for, it was from america it was beautiful silk um, it was it's pink it's just like it's I mean it looks like I, 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 you someone would wear it who was in like a, a Hollywood movie a Hollywood film yes. you know a starlet like you could see Marilyn Monroe in it as she answered the door and you know she just she's amazing she was she would be amazing in something like that and I, I saw it and I thought I could walk around my house in that quite happily you know I I it's it's not a big cozy dressing gown that you would slouch about in and you know eat pizza in. But actually, come to think of it, I wouldn't mind ordering pizza and sitting in that slouching on my on my on my sofa. But I just I, I love, love it. Silk. silk and pizza works. You get it. <laughs> this is like yeah, a life of a single girl living in London, wearing silk dressing gowns, slouching on the sofa and eating pizza. Welcome to my world. But I love it, and I it feels like a nice occasion when I when I do wear it. Um, and it makes me feel good. And listen, no one else sees me in that, but I, you know, definitely no one else sees me in that right now, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> but it's it just feels good to have on. It feels nice to wear around the house. It's not for wearing outside, um, but I have to be careful and look after it. And, you know, I saw that. And as I say, I just became obsessed with it. Um, so I, I love going down to Shoreditch because I also think that you can find things that are reasonably priced. Um, 
the, when I was going skiing last year, for example, it was my, I have never skied before. And I, this was going to be like, it was one of my bucket list things that I wanted to learn to do in my life to learn to ski. And so I signed up for this holiday in teen in France. And I was like, I'm going to learn how to ski. And I thought if I'm going to learn how to ski, I want a vintage ski suit. Okay. Yes. Because that just makes sense to me in my head. Like I, I'm already going to look like a bit of a tool coming down the slopes, falling all over the place. So um, I want to at least do it in style. And so I went down to Shoreditch and found the most magnificent pieces from like the 80s. And they're oh. like big, the big shoulders and the big arms, those kind of like big tulip arms. And one of them was like, it was like green and, and orange and white and purple. And really, and the, color, the, color, the colors were amazing. The 80s for color was just fantastic. And so I, I had this lime green suit on for hitting the slopes in teen. And I felt incredible because of that. So, um, and I did learn to ski. Well, done, I get so I can kill myself. See, dressing for the job that you want. <laughs> Thanks, Lynn. Yeah. <laughs> and if, if you had fallen or something awful had happened, people would have been able to see you. You are not wrong. <laughs> Practical and fashionable. <laughs> so if you're in the markets in Shoreditch, where do you eat then? So if you're pockling around and having a little browse of the, the clothes, then where's for eating and drinking? Okay, so actually I quite like the markets for them as well because I'm already in that mindset of, you know, going around stalls and, and shopping things and trying things out. And um, there is also a great food market in Shoreditch where you can get these incredible tofu bao buns. And oh. I mean, it's like five pounds, you get two of them. If you're with someone, you know, you can buy a couple of different ones and um, they're just like a really nice little bite-sized amount you can eat them on the go you can sit at one of the tables um I mean trust me then when I'm shopping I will stop for for cocktails but in terms of food that's a means to an end okay that's just to give me more energy <laughs> to keep going I'm with you yeah so um I love I love going around there but there's also a fantastic faux place nearby so there's um a, a faux restaurant where you can just get the most incredible food I discovered pho when I moved to to London I think it's Vietnamese is that right I don't know mm -hmm. Vietnamese mm -hmm. food but it um it just feels it's really healthy and um, it's definitely more of a sit-down meal and enjoy it and I, you discover lots of really nice little bits in it there's all it's like a little adventure in a bowl full yeah it feels like kind of 10 different meals um we have uh yeah, we have an Australian friend or bestie who lives in Perth, but when she came to Edinburgh, when we met at the radio station, um, that was her mission because their their comfort food is that. Yeah. So they, you know, in Australia, because obviously it's so close to geographically um, where that is. So that's that's there. And that was when we discovered the tasty, tasty times of a, a, of a bowl full of goodness that actually feels like a treat. It's so it is a treat actually, and the variety that you can get of them, you can and I love spicy food. I'm half Pakistani, and so you know I think for me like the spicier the better. I love when something's really really hot, and you you have have an experience when you eat. You know you have a physical reaction. Yeah, when you're eating. I love well, our that. friend is because I never really used to like spicy food, and and then I subsequently not with her, but went and lived in Perth. But she is the reason I can eat spicy food. And so I would go, when we, we met in Edinburgh, and then we both subsequently ended up living in Glasgow. And 
um, she phoned me and she was like, I'm quite homesick. Do you want to come over? I've made rice paper rolls, which if you don't know what they are, they're basically like raw spring rolls. So they're wrapped in in sort of rice paper and stuffed. I think she forgot I was coming. So they were really stuffed with chilli. Oh, yeah. Tell you what, short of rice fillers, I've never had such puffy lips in my life. I, I was like, why? This is what I would look like with fillers. But she totally, Cassie taught me how to eat hot. And <laughs> and it is a real, it's also a comfort thing as well. It's, it's really sort of soothing but she had made them because she was homesick for Perth and then yeah I ended up with these big puffy lips <laughs> I mean yeah, that's like an alternative to Botox I'm, yeah. I'm up for it I'm gonna give it a back <laughs> yeah just rub some chili flakes on you and you'll be laughing don't do it please don't do it Shoreditch is my favorite I'm actually looking up some of the places that, that I've go- gone to because I'm terrible for um I'm a wanderer and I I uh do this when I'm traveling that like I'm sometimes the worst person to review a place because I don't always pay attention to the names of places the streets I'm on the roads I go down um I just like wander and if I see something that looks good I'll go in and and try it and sometimes that's led to finding some incredible gems sometimes it's led to complete disasters but you know I'm the same when it comes to if I see food and it looks great I'll stop I don't care if it's you know, at a market, I don't care if it's a nice where if it's sometimes just a really bougie looking restaurant and you think, oh, I quite fancy nipping in and getting, you know, cocktails and or, you know, oysters and a glass of champagne. You know, I'm in that mood today. Why not? Um, although that is definitely more of an Edinburgh type vibe, I would say, than than in London. You know, the seafood in London, I mm. I'm I, I get spoiled in Scotland. Is that true? I didn't know. I wouldn't. I suppose it makes sense for us because we're at home and oysters and chips and a glass of champagne is a thing of just pure luxury when you're shopping absolutely but that that's that I associate that sort of experience with Scotland um I I don't uh, down in London I feel more um sort of renegade about (laughs) about it all I feel like having a you know I I don't um I'll I'll grab and go I'll see something and just kind of uh jump into it so with 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 the with cocktail bars you know I have Nightjar is probably my best find ever I I I it was on my bucket list for London um when I first moved down and it's this kind of like speakeasy style bar that you have to book into and so like you properly have to plan it um but it's got live jazz it's a bass and it's like again and it's in my it, it's in my era you know it's that it's it's all very sort of 1920s style um they have a very small bespoke cocktail menu but everything is just perfect you can spend you know the whole night there just enjoying uh lovely company usually it's like a great date place as well it's uh, been fantastic for dates but if it's a girlfriend you know that you're you're with just um trying to work your way through the the menu um and doing it at such a a cool leisurely place the staff are really brilliant there and as i say everyone is dressed for the occasion so it makes it transports you back to the twenties. It's just beautiful. It transports you back to the to the, the to the twenties and when we could actually go out. Like yes. Oh my god! All right. <laughs> this is such. It is such a tease, isn't it? Talking about these experiences at the moment, but our hope is that we then have both for ourselves and for our listeners just this to do list of places to go and things to do when we're allowed. So Zara says you have to just submerge yourself in Shoreditch, and then you have to eat some street food and then off off cocktailing to the where was the cocktail place it's night jar it's called night is it is it in shoreditch too yeah yeah Yeah. 
And if you're around until the morning, there is a cereal restaurant, as in a restaurant that just sells no. cereal. So if you stay out all night and want to just grab some cereal, then, you know, make your way down there too. How much is a bowl of cereal in London? I mean, it's Shoreditch, right? So, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, if you want to buy overpriced Cheerios, you know, other brands are available. But if you want to buy overpriced Kellogg's or whatever, probably about a tenner, I would say. No, come on. Oh, but I mean, you get the experience with it as well. I don't know why. They're not paying me to say it's anything. A, it's like the Cereal Killer Cafe or something. Is that what it's called? Oh, yes. Have you heard of it? Yeah, I don't because I work in TV um, and I do ridiculous things for a job. And I remember being told, sitting with my assistant producer and we're coming up with sort of ideas for cooking shows. And he was like, yeah, and there's this place called the Serial Killer Cafe. And I was like, the what? <laughs> <laughs> and they ship stuff over from the States. And... Actually sounds awesome. We're going to go and check it out. But I mean, you do get a full experience with it and it is a bit quirky and unusual. And uh, it's very Instagrammable, the the interior inside. The, you know, they've, they've, they've made it very picture worthy. So um, if you go, uh, you can at least take a really nice picture of your £10 bowl of cereal. Okay, do you know what? This is, this is it. When the next zone and we can travel... We are coming to you and we're going to have a full day, vintage shopping, nibbles and lunch, out for drinks. We're staying out all night. Let's see how well that happens because nobody's programmed anymore to, to be out past like 11 o'clock. We'll be like, oh, how do you do this? We'll try and do an all nighter and then make it to the cereal bar. I mean, Lynn, th this sounds fantastic, but you you have kids, okay? I mean, let's be honest. It feels like we're never going to get out of this. So they're going to be like 25 when lockdown is over. It'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> don't we're, we're trying to give people hope here are we not <laughs> actually i think you know unusually like sometimes people say that you know after you have kids you lose your drinking chops and all that sort of stuff lynn was not a drinker beforehand like one wine gum and she was anyone's her children have made her a drinker it's hilarious it's brilliant i'm a boozy floozy now she's a better drinker now than she was before They've given you the drinking stamina that you needed in your youth.